There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. That top of the day to you. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio. Jack Hartle, our producer. Wolfgang Klein, your host. It is a show about money. It is hi-fi, high finance. We're going to throw in a little bit of high fashion today. Uh, my guy, Jeffrey Skirka, is in the studio. He's going to help us look a little bit better in the year 2018. We are going to kick the show off with uh, an old colleague of mine, Don Velo, uh, who's a technical analyst. He's a blogger, and uh, boy, he has about 45,000 followers. And this man has been around the block a few times, so he can teach us youth, shall I say, how to go social. He's done a very, very good job of that. We're going to end it with a discussion with Brian Reynolds. Uh, he is one of our asset allocators. More importantly, he's going to talk to us why there's just so much juice in the system that this market is going to continue to move higher for the next couple of years. But without further ado, over to Don Velo. Uh, good day, Don. How are you? I am great there, Wolfgang. Yeah, so Don, you and I met each other actually at the start of my career in finance uh, at one of the big six banks, um, and you you really were one of my early mentors. I have to thank you for that sincerely. You've been you you were wonderful to me as a rookie, and you held my hand and you taught me a whole lot about the equity market specifically. Uh, so it's good to have you on the show. It's a nice little rendezvous with a old friend of mine. Uh, so so Don, uh, it's amazing because you've seen a few bull markets, you've seen a few bear markets. You were around for 1987, but not for 1929. Um, and so you understand the equity markets. But I want to start with stock tweets. Um, it is a I guess a, another social medium, uh, getting a little more specific than Twitter, uh, correct? But specifically about the stock market, stock tweets is what it's called? Yes. Well, the key with stock tweets is that uh, if you go to stock tweets at Equity Clock, that's uh, my handle, so to speak, uh, each day when things are happening in the markets, then we uh, very quickly get a comment into uh, the system so that you can see what's happening virtually minute by minute. So, for example, on Friday, Intel came out with fantastic results, and the stock boomed and broke out into an all-time high. That kind of information that we almost immediately release into the stock tweet uh, atmosphere. And so so the, uh, the, the app is what, Stock Tweets? You just download it to, from the app store called Stock Tweets? Yeah, StockTweets.com. StockTweets.com. And how many fo- you have 45,000 followers? That's right. We started about two years ago with 3,000. It's growing consistently, and now we're just a little over 46,000 people receive our comments on an interday basis. How did you do that? That's a, that's a lot of people. You know, Jack and I tweet every now and then, and Kathy and my wife helps us tweet, and I think we have about 183 followers. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you do that, Don? Well, it's a combination of providing timely technical comments, but we also combine it with something else that's equally important and that is seasonality. So you want to be buying or selling stocks based on their seasonal trends. So you combine the two, technicals and seasonality, and you have yourself a winning trade. We're listening to, uh, speaking with Don Velo. Uh, he's a technical analyst, a fellow I used to work with at one of the big six banks. He's also a chartered, chartered market technician. Uh, he's got 47 years of experience in the investment industry. And my friends, if you're looking for a career, I'll tell you something. Uh, the, the, the world of Bay Street and Wall Street is a, is a, are streets that welcome old age. The more gray hair or the less hair you have, the more money you tend to make. Uh, so it's, it's a wonderful business, but in that regard, isn't it, Don? Yeah, I'm on the uh, less here 
uh, sector of the of the market. Yeah, well, in your case, in there. Yeah, in your yeah. case, less is more. How's that one? Um, <laughs> so, so Don, let's, let's talk about the uh, commodity market. After all, you are a Canadian boy, and uh, commodities look pretty strong in here. You mentioned to me off air that the CRB index is uh, breaking out. Uh, so, what is this telling you about the uh, the, the Canadian economy? Yeah, fascinating. CRB index uh, just on Thursday of uh, last week finally moved above about a two and a half year trading range. Beautiful base building pattern. And uh, that breakout, I believe, is very significant. It means higher commodity prices going forward. That means gold, sour, it means grains, it means crude oil. They're all moving. And uh, that is ultimately positive for the Canadian market because we're a big commodity producer. Right. So, Don, getting back to the CRB index, so is that index breaking out because of seasonality or is it that synchronized economic growth that we continue to hear about? Actually, it has something to do with another uh, issue, and that is the weakness in the U.S. dollar index. See, commodity prices are tied to the U.S. dollar index. As the U.S. dollar index moves lower, commodity prices automatically move higher. And that's been the big reason for higher commodity prices during the last little while. Improving economic growth in both Canada and the United States, actually around the world, is also a positive. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's all related. Yes, they are related. All right, we have Don Velo on the line. Uh, stock tweets at equityclock.com. Or that's your, your handle is stock tweets at equityclock, isn't it, Don? Yeah, stocktwits.com at equityclock. Stocktwits.com at equityclock. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to uh, sign up for that. Uh, folks, I would encourage you to do the same. Don's a very, very smart guy. We're going to pay some bills around here. Bring Don Vila back right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. How about those cannons, eh? Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. We have Don Velo on the line. He's a well, he's a, he's a market technician, technical analyst, uh, and a good friend of the Wolf on Bay Street, Wolfgang Klein, your host of Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money. It is high fidelity, of course. We weave in a bit of music, and today we're going to weave in some fashion, some high fashion with my friend Jeffrey Skirka. But without further ado, back to Don Velo. So, Don, we're talking about the U.S. dollar getting weaker. Last week we um, had, uh, it was a velocity uh, jack in the studio, and we went through a bunch of their charts and uh, multiple currencies uh, showing strength against the U.S. dollar. And that probably affects my friend Jeffrey's business as well because he imports suits uh, from Europe, and I guess he's paying for those suits correctly, Jeffrey, in Euro. Yes. You are indeed. We're going to get, get get to you in a few minutes here, Jeff. But so so, Don, where does this take us uh, in terms of the U.S. dollar? Because Jack and I have a lot of U.S. stocks in our portfolios, probably 50, 60 percent. We have Amazon. We own Apple. We own Facebook. You know, we own the the, the, the obvious culprits plus a few interesting they, names. Their stock market looks fantastic. The issue is that we own them in U.S. dollars and we're exposed to that U.S. dollar. So, uh, Don, how much more strength do you see in the loonie? Looks like the Canadian dollar will take a, a pretty good shot at the previous high, which is around the 82.30 level. Uh, we're getting closer to that as we speak. Notice something else, that if you're a Canadian investor and you own U.S. stocks, generally you've done quite well, mm-hmm. but you have not done as well as the U.S. equity indices. Correct. 
because the Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. dollar over the last three or four months has gone up from Correct. 77 up to 81. So that, for example, if you made a 10% return on a U.S. equity security, you only made a 6% return in that same security in right. Canadian dollar terms. Now I'm going to throw something at you, Don. It's interesting because even this year, you have the U.S. equity market up in Canadian dollars, my friend. In Canadian dollars, is still up about 5%. I guess in U.S. dollars, it must be up about 65 But the, So I would, you're still better off owning U.S. stocks in Canadian dollars and having that Canadian dollar headwind as you are opposed to owning the TSX because the TSX just went negative uh, uh, yesterday for the year of 2018. Uh, so how does that feed into your theses really important because what's happened with the tse composite it actually peaked on the first trading day in january of this year and during the last uh, three weeks it's formed a classic head and shoulders i'm sorry double top pattern it completed that pattern on thursday and looks like the canadian market on a short-term basis will continue moving lower at least for the next month or two so, so it made a double top, which, which is a technical uh, uh, telltale sign of, of, of a weaker market, in your opinion. That's correct. And a lot of it has to do with currencies. With the Canadian dollar being so strong, it means that the Canadian economy will probably continue to grow, but probably not as quickly as the U.S. Well, look, it can't be all that bad here in Canada. Oil is 64 bucks a barrel. Nat gas, again, because it's so continental and can't be and can't leave the continent is, is challenged, but it's still above three bucks. Copper looks good. You mentioned the grain. So we have a bit of that stuff. We are hewers of wood, drawers of water, as yeah. we always say. 80, uh, 80% of our exports go down to the U.S. and their economy is just, just soaring right now. So Except we have NAFTA on the table. We'll see how that plays out for sure. Yeah. So, so uh, my, my question then to you, Don, is can we make any money in the Canadian market? And if so, uh, what is your preferred sector right here, right now? Oh, that's a, an excellent question because there is one sector that I've been watching very closely, and uh, it's coming along quite nicely. It's a sector which is available both in Canada and the United States. Mm-hmm. And what is that? That's the oil service sector. Oh. The... Uh, Look at the oil service index in the States. It recently completed uh, almost a perfect reverse head and shoulders pattern. Nice breakouts come back a little bit during the last uh, couple of trading days. But that sector is on fire. It is. On a seasonal basis, it normally is very attractive from the middle of December right through until approximately the end of April. So we're just in the period of seasonal strength. Looking at the fundamentals, we saw another increase in the number of rigs being used in the United States. Uh, during the last couple of weeks. And uh, in Canada, amazing, the number of rigs being used, uh, I guess about two weeks ago, increased by 58%. So a large increase in activity in that area. That's very positive for both U.S. and Canadian oil service stocks. Hmm. Well, it's funny because Jack and I, last year, we owned the OIH, and that was the Oil Services Index in America. In fact, we owned that for about 18 months, and it bled lower and lower and lower. And so what did we do? We took a tax loss because we had so much profit that we sold our oil index uh, basically near the low. Boy, we're good. But we offset such gains. We had to do it from, from a Revenue Canada point of view. Uh, of course, the opportunity was missed because we could we had a chance to buy that back 30 days later. And so do you think it goes higher, the OIH, in the United States? Like, can I still buy it here at around 28 bucks, Don? Well, just some background. The completion of the head and shoulders reversal pattern on OIH was when the, the units went about 25.54. Mm-hmm. Right now they're tra- trading around uh, 28, 28 bucks, and a yeah. half. Yeah. 
So what you want to do, if you can get uh, kind of a pullback over the next week or two, that'll just be the opportunity to accumulate more of, the, of those particular units. Yeah, but the big, again, in the oil services space here in Canada, if you want to keep loonies at work, the name, the go-to name is Precision Drilling, I guess, eh, Jack? It's, yeah, it's the biggest and the best. Just getting back to one point that you had there, Don, and, and Wolfgang touched on it as well, cutting cutting losses and uh, you know protecting profits. You're a market technician. What do you look for when you're trying to protect those profits or cut losses? Well, when you're doing uh, a combination of technical and seasonal investing, you always want to have your stops in. Uh, a good example, if you were looking at OIH and you already own the position, you probably want to use, say, the 50-day moving average as uh, your stop. In this case, this 50-day moving average is right around the, say, 25 and three-quarter level. Hmm. So, uh, you know, you want to protect yourself. Now, if you're a very short-term trader, you'll actually use the 20-day moving average, but that's that's for people that are... Yeah, I caught that one in a textbook. In fact, Jack and I were just talking about that, and I said, gee, Jack, I think one of the books told me 20 days. What do you think about using the 200-day as a point of, of, of stop? I think it's too far at that point. What do you think, Don? Well, the 200-day moving average is used by institutional investors. Uh-huh. It's, not, it's not that effective for uh, retail investors like uh, you and I. So, uh, yeah, sure, you should be aware of uh, the 200-day moving average. Uh, but if you're a retail investor, the 50-day and 20-day moving averages yeah, are preferable. Much tighter, aren't they? And for smaller positions, you can do that, obviously, I guess is the point, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. You can get it out uh, very quickly. And, uh, you know, by being active, particularly combining technicals and seasonality, uh, you can get some pretty good trades. The, the other thing is that on, when using seasonality, seasonality tells you approximately when to enter the trade and approximately when to exit the trade. So at the end of a period of seasonal strength, basically what you do is you get out of the position. Well, look, Don, yeah, this is a compliment, but you're a seasoned man. And you're obviously of four seasons when it comes to the equity market. So we're going to talk to you more about the seasonal effects of the equity market. We never went down that road too far in today's conversation, but Don Velo will be back. Look, uh, your, your handle is stocktwits, stocktwits.com at Equity Clock. Uh, so uh, check out his site. Uh, I think he's going to give you a lot of good uh, market uh, information. Obviously, 45,000 followers is something to pay attention to. Don Velo, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Coming up next is my guy, my clothing guy, Jeffrey Skirka of Classica Imports. He's been making me look, well, better than I, as, as good as I can, shall I say, uh, for the last 30 years. And it's, it's a real pleasure to have him on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, high finance, and high fashion. Jeffrey Skirk is in the studio with us. I uh, guess you're the president of Classic Imports, Jeffrey? Yes, I am. You are now the president of Classic Imports. Uh, Jeffrey has been outfitting me uh, very, very well. I get a lot of compliments. I really do. Uh, uh, he's been outfitting me for 30 years. I worked 15 years in, or 13 years in broadcast, and uh, you, you made me look very, very fine back in the 80s. Uh, twice the material that I get today from you. In the year of 2000, and are we 18? Is it 2018? Yes, it is. It's 2000, it is. unbelievable 2018. So um, I want to tell you a little funny story. Uh, I came into the office with some new suits, and Jack said, hey, Wolf, 
I got some new suits coming to me too. <laughs> <laughs> My buddy Nick, 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 Nick Boyd, you know him, the hockey player. He's actually he's on the radio. He's with on us. the radio with us, and he signed this the Stanley Cup. He has some great suits for me. He's going to ship them up from Arizona. I said, uh, when did Nick last play hockey, Jack? What year was it? His last uh, season. I'm going to say season? I think the suits were from about 2004, 2005. 2004, 2005. So up they came in a container, and there was a lot of material, and so he took them to a tailor, and they. Took off, I guess, about 50% of the material. And Jack walked in the office. They got four pleats, <laughs> four pleats on either side. Big puffy in the middle of his of his crotch, shall I say. But his jacket was pretty good. It looked pretty good. And the, the length was done properly. Uh, so I guess the point of the matter is pleats. And uh, what do we do with pleated suits in this day and age, my good friend? Donate them to charity. <laughs> <laughs> but I, see, I still see a lot of guys walking around with pleated suits. They're it's all it's, over Bastion. You can, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. But it's usually the older generation or, or, or tradespeople. But we have to help them out. We really, like, When did the pleat go out of, out of fashion? How, how, how old is the pleated pants? Six years. It's only six years? N- at the least. And, and when's it going to come back? It's trying to get back now, but it's not having an easy time here in North America and Europe. Wait, when I say how long? Yeah, because when I say when is it going to come back? They normally take what, like ten, twelve years at least before there's even a resurgence. Yeah, at least or even some interest. Yeah. yeah, so we got Jeffrey Skirk in, in in the house. Um, he is a clothier, a, a, a fashionista. He's got Jeffrey. You have great taste. I say that because you travel to Europe and you buy merchandise and you bring it here to Canada and you both wholesale it and retail it. And uh, I think you have a great eye and that takes, a, that, that is talent because uh, not everyone has a great eye and especially when it comes to men and men's fashion. Thank uh, you. You know, so you're very, very good at that. So uh, what, what's hot? Tell, tell us what's hot in the year of 2018. Well, as you said, slim fitting pants, tighter jackets, shorter jackets. It's all the European style that's coming to North America in a very big way now. Yeah, their profit margins, honestly, I'm going to have fun here because the amount of fabric I now receive has got to be 30, 40% less, isn't it? This is true. Like, stuff is tight. Like, I tried on a pair of jeans of yours. I almost painted them on. This and I'm true. a skinny guy. Said, Jeffrey, these are 30s? Feels like a 26 you're getting me into here. Bigger profit, less <laughs> fabric. <laughs> so here's the other one. Again, the, the world has been Amazon. And then as Jack and I have been talking about that repeatedly on, on Hi-Fi Radio, Jeffrey. The world's been Amazon. Uh, drugs. And I mean, I mean, prescription drugs, uh, books, music, uh, food, going to Amazon. How do you survive as an independent retailer in, in this very, very competitive landscape of retail? How do you survive, Jeffrey? Well, you have to do some online business today. If you don't, you're behind times. And I can tell you now that... I can buy online. I don't have to drive to your store anymore. I can shop. Yeah. Oh. It's true. People are doing it, and all our clientele in the wholesale end all have online presence, and it's growing leaps and bounds like no tomorrow. So, so you're a small business. What's the online platform that you use to, to develop that? To be honest, we don't do much online in our business, but all the wholesale and retail clients that we sell to are doing a lot of online. We're at the Bay Online, and that's growing for us in a big way. But uh, as an independent, it's very difficult to compete with the big boys in online business today. So, so how is it that you differentiate yourself? Obviously, you got Wolfgang, who's a, a loyal customer. I've been up there a couple times myself. Um, h- how do you differentiate your business? Well, we try to give personal service and the best quality at the best prices. That's our main goal, to give the people to leave and feel comfortable that they haven't overpaid and they've gotten great quality. So, so great I, I want to talk about this, Jerry. I have to interject here, right? Overpaying. I hate when I see men overpay for a suit. I say the poor fella individual really doesn't know and they're either they're underpaying the buying crap, uh, which I see a lot of crap out there, which falls apart. My kid bought a suit and for example, I had to buy my, my, my son a suit for, for a family funeral and he's a boy, a little rough and tumble, but he put his hand in the pocket and it 
first viewing at the funeral, and he ripped the pant pocket immediately. For that's never happened with the product you have. I know Jeff's a little or Jack's a little rougher with his shoes. I take <laughs> right, the train right, two yeah, hours yeah, a day, but anyway, Jack ran to go train, the point, and he lost one of Jeffrey's heels. <laughs> so whoop this up, Jeffrey Somers crap. <laughs> Jack, you know, run you run a marathon. Yeah. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Another story here. Um, but so, so at the, there's crap on the marketplace where I, I dissuade anyone from buying. But then I, I see a lot of men really, really overpaying for shirts and for suits, uh, and I don't think that's necessary. So let's help out a business guy out there who's just starting out. What do you think you need to spend to buy a nice suit along with a shirt and a tie and a belt and a pair of shoes? $1,000. I think $1,000 you should budget for well-made suit, shirt, tie, and pair of shoes. You know, it's funny. My, my friend Mark Mandelson at uh, Babler Radio, he coined a Mozart system. It was a stereo that was a, an amplifier, a CD player, and a pair of speakers. I think he called it the Mozart system. And it was a fantastic selling uh, package for him. So have you thought about doing that? Maybe having the starter package? I took my daughter horseback riding. Right. And for, for 250 bucks, you got the starter package. Basically, all the garment that you'd possibly need, including some chaps, 250 bucks. There's an idea for you. Jeffrey. There you go. $1,000 starter suit. A starter suit, eh? Yeah, full outfit, shirt, tie, shoes. Where, where would the suit be from? What country? All Europe. Everything from us comes from Europe. Is so spe- either. Specific country? Because again, you, you've Germany, shopped around Europe. It'd be Germany or Turkey or Italy, any of those German countries. clothes? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is Hugo Boss still in? Yeah, and it's declining. It's not growing. Declining? Yes, it's on the decline. Unlike Wolfgang Klein, Hi-Fi yeah. Radio. We're going to pay some bills around here, but we're going to learn more about fashion faux pas and how to look smart with Jeffrey Skirka from Classica Imports, good friend of mine and my guy, right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein. Jack Hartle and my buddy Jeff Skirka, my fashion consultant, shall I say, from Classica Imports. I've been shopping with Jeffrey at Jeffrey's for 30 years. Classica Imports up by Yorkdale on Bridgeland Road. A wonderful family. And uh, it's amazing because a few years ago I was quoted talking about the hemline index. And I was wondering if this applies to men. But the hemline index suggests that as women's hemlines rise... The economy improves and the stock market improves as a result. People get more flirtatious and more frisky. And as hemlines fall, they get more conservative. So can we maybe make the same analysis with men's pants as they're showing off their socks as they're as, <laughs> as their hems go up and show off those fancy socks? The economy's improving. And it's true. If is that right? Is that yeah. the deal? Yeah. As men's pants rise, the economy rises with it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. As Jeff, you just pulled up your sock. But last week, Jack came to the office with a new pair of Christmas socks. And he pulled up his socks just before a client meeting. He pulled up his socks, I think, to his hip. <laughs> and he ripped this massive hole in the heel of, in the heel of his sock. And it was, you know, he covered it up, with his, but his pants aren't you know, as short as yours. And if you stretch his leg, and all of a sudden, my client and I both look at his hole. He's, he's like, okay. I, I, I told my wife about that at home. Well, I told my wife about that at home. And she said, that's okay. They're from Costco. You can just return them anyway. What'd you do? With <laughs> 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 now, did we lose the client as a result of it? I don't think so. We haven't closed it yet, but we'll see. We haven't closed that no, one yet. No, But yeah, let's talk about dressing for success. You know, is that a Wall Street, um, what was that show for back in, back, well, the movie Wall Street, right? Right. The power suit, dressing for success. Um, I bought into it, but I'm a, I'm a guy of the 80s. Um, does that still exist today, do you believe, Jeff? The importance of dressing I for success? I believe the n- next generation ha- has had enough of the T-shirt and jean era, and they're starting to come back to dress clothing, shirt, tie, Now, suit. But does Jack always says, are we asking the barber if we need a haircut? 
This is true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I just bought a whack of new clothing off you. I like to, I like to dress well. I, I like the stuff you sell me. You get compliments. You feel good. You feel current as opposed to dated. And again, I work in a business that's ever changing. One day it's pot stocks. Next day it's artificial intelligence. Next day we're right back to crude oil. Um, and maybe that's where right, right here is crude cruise is higher. Um, but so, so in terms of dressing for success, let, let's talk about ripped jeans. Right. Ripped jeans. Because I, I know some successful men. And I mean, very successful men. I think they pay a ton of money for just the perfectly ripped jean. Um, where does that fit into the workplace? Uh, it shouldn't be in the workplace whatsoever. I think uh, it's for social occasions and not for to wear to work ever. I think clean jeans are okay on a casual Friday basis, but jeans in general should not be wor- worn Monday to Thursday. Okay, I'm, I'm going to test you now because Jack and I once took an etiquette course. We were forced by management to take an etiquette course. And again, folks, if you're in business and if, you, if you're a professional, taking an etiquette course I think is actually really good stuff because our parents don't teach us as well today of not keeping your elbows off the or keeping your elbows off the table. And so the etiquette course spoke about, for example, your jacket. Men's jacket with two buttons. I see men often walk around with a two-button jacket, and it's the second button that they do up with the first button's undone. That's a very fashion faux pas. It shouldn't be done. Right. So what I was taught at this etiquette course was always, which is the top button, sometimes if there's a second button, and never with the third button. Sometimes, always, never. Uh, never. Always the top button. First right. of all, no Something, Always the top button. Sometimes the second button. Well, three buttons are out now. So and three buttons are out, are out now. So what about middle four, button? I got a fourth button at home. Get, get rid of it. That's a beautiful <laughs> silk suit you sold me, Jeffrey. I hate yeah, throwing out I'm, your suits. That's the painful part, eh? It sure is. You get is. built in obsolescence. <laughs> and yet the stuff you sell me is good quality. It doesn't wear out. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not wrestling in the mud with it, mind you, either, eh? That's true. But you can always give it to a good charity and let someone else take it over. We're here with Jeffrey Skirka, Hi-Fi Radio. We are learning about high fashion on High Fidelity Radio, High Finance Radio with Jack Hartle and Wolfgang Klein. So, so Jeffrey, I want to go back to you. You're a single retailer in, in the world that has become very, very flat and goods move around the world. Again, I go back to what I like about you is, is you travel abroad, you source goods, you bring them home, and you give Toronto, I think, a very, very fresh look. Uh, so tell me. How many suppliers do you deal with in Europe, and how many countries do you travel to source your goods? Well, we deal with around 15 to 20 uh, manufacturers abroad, and I probably travel to two to three countries at most right now. Two to three countries. Yeah. And so you're buying from which countries right now? Turkey is a major supplier mm-hmm. of ours, Germany, and Italy. So why does it rotate, Jane? Again, we're on the line here with Jeffrey Skirka of Classica Imports. Um, but it seemed that back in the day, it was Italian suits, Italian suits. And if you want to step out of Italy, you bought yourself a Hugo Boss, which was a German suit. Correct. Uh, and I once actually got a garment from me, much to my surprise when I took it home. It was actually made in Switzerland, where labor rates, I think, are the highest in the world. Now you're buying from Turkey. Uh, so, so what happens? Like, how, how does one country take the lead and the other one pass on the baton? Well, I don't know if they pass on the baton, but what happened with Italy, it got so priced way, way high for us, for the consumer here. So we try to source new countries that at least the quality's at par and the price is a lot you know, more forgiving for the consumer to buy and be friendly and have the quality still there. And that's what we try to do. And that's probably, that country's probably the best out there right now at that. Turkey is. Yes, it is. Uh, is does, does Italy continue to dominate in fashion manufacturing? Yeah, I would say yes. In the high end, they are number one still leading the world. But in the mid-sector, I think they're lagging way, way behind. So if you were to get me a suit, for example, Jeffrey, from Italy versus Turkey, what's the difference in price? 
Fifty percent. Fifty percent. And it's all due to labor. The it's, fabrics are the same. The quality, and all the workmanship is there, but it's all the labor costs. Is, hmm. So, with your travels over to Europe, Jeffrey, you've obviously been there uh, recently. Yeah. What's up for the uh, the spring season? What should we expect here in Toronto? Well, I'll tell you. With menswear, it's not really a huge change because we're a blue, black, and gray society, and that seems to be what sells. But we're starting to introduce burgundies a lot, and browns are trying to come back, and a lot of earth tones are starting to make their way into our program. So I ask I, you, I, I ask you a question every, every time I see Jeffrey, and I ask you uh, jokingly, is the double-breasted suit. Is it ever going to come back? You every year say it's coming back, and I say nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. Oh, that was nonsense? Nah, well, oh, boy, it's coming back now. It's not working. It's not, <laughs> it's not, not working. working. No. So the pleats, we're getting rid of the pleats. pleats. you got to throw out your pleats, guys. I'm telling you, if you own a pleated suit, get rid donate of it. it. So if, get rid of it. If you got a double breast, then cut your loss and get rid of that come, one, too. Get rid, get Unfortunately, it. yes. They tried it in Europe, but it's just not taking wind in here in so Canada. I, I, we, have to, we have to close the segment here, Jeffrey Skirker of Classica Imports, my good friend. But I'll tell you, one thing retailers do better than average investors when an item of yours jeffrey is not selling what do you do with it discount you discount when a stock is not working what do people tend to do with it jeffrey sell buy more buy more that's the mistake they tend to make oh i like that two bucks now it's a buck i'm gonna buy more big error listen to the retailer if it is not selling what do you do with it jeffrey sell it you get, get rid, rid of, of your it. discounting you yeah. drop the price you move on to something that is working so apparently you're pushing burgundy we'll see if burgundy works i bought a pair of burgundy's two burgundy suits off you and a pair of burgundy shoes off you jeff or jack you gonna buy something burgundy off jeffrey Guess I have to make my way up there. Yeah, Kate, Relatively you heard soon, that, yeah. Kate. He's going to be buying something burgundy. I'm going to hold you to it, Jeff. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'll check out your online platform. Jeffrey Skirk of Classica, <laughs> an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. A treat to wear your garments for the last 30-some-odd years. I'm going to keep doing just that. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the credit markets with Canaccord Genuity's asset allocator, Brian Reynolds, right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, your co-host, and we have Brian Reynolds on the line, who is from Boston, Massachusetts, but is in Florida taking care of his mother, which is a very good thing. Brian, uh, you're what we what you call yourself an asset allocator, uh, and again, in, in the world of asset allocation, there's basically three camps that you can put money, cash, stock, and bond, uh, so that's what you focus your attention on. But before we get into your asset allocation model, um, the, the the World Economic Forum uh, conference taking place in Davos, uh, Switzerland, uh, put out a piece that, that you, you've published here, The Likelihood and Impact of Global Risks, and I'm shivering in my boots here. Uh, weapons of mass destruction, extreme weather events, uh, water crises, food crises, biodiversity loss, large-scale involuntary migration, man-made environmental disasters. It goes on and on. Energy price shock, illicit trade, failures of urban planning. I guess that's Trump's wall they're talking about there. Deflation, unmanageable inflation. I'm scared. Should I be? And and these are the world leaders in business, and they're all scared. Oh, boy. It tells me two things. The first thing is that there's a lot of room for upside surprises. 
And that's been the case for the last nine years in this bull market. The other thing is that if you look at the risks that they're looking at, that they're worried about, none of them, or almost none of them, are going to stop the U.S. credit boom. So let's talk about the U.S. credit boom, because, again, this is 2018, and all of the data comes in as to how long the bull market's been running. It's the second largest bull market, longest running bull market in history. Jack and I subscribe to Bespoke's work. They data mine an awful lot and tell us how many days since we've had a 5% correction, how many days since a 10% correction, and, and the period of time is long. So is this the year the market goes down, or is the bull continuing? I know what your answer is going to be, but you might as well tell the audience, my good friend, Brian Reynolds, by the way. I think stocks keep going up because the U.S. public pensions, which are the biggest global investor, they're bringing in fresh new tax money, putting it into the corporate bonds, and that ends up in corporate buybacks, which are the main driver of this bull market. And there's probably no let up in sight. So, so Brian, what are the biggest risks to the market that, that would stop this credit boom? To me, the only real thing that would stop this credit boom is if the U.S. Treasury yield curve inverted. Because the shadow banking that powers these bull markets, the one in the 1990s, the one from 2003 to 2007, and the one that's been going on for nine years, they're all dependent on a positively sloped yield curve. When the yield curve inverts, two years later, we have a financial crisis. So we, I want to I I so explain this then to the audience, number one, um, in terms of the yield curve. The yield curve is basically the price of money, and short-term interest rates tend to be lower than longer-term longer interest rates, which is a normal sloping curve. I repeat, when short-term rates are lower than longer-term rates, you have a normal upward sloping curve. When they want to slow down the economy, the, the, the central authorities want to slow the economy down, they raise interest rates, and that pushes short-term interest rates above long-term interest rates. That chokes off lending, and that shuts down the economy and puts us into a recession. Now, the other phrase I want to talk about, again, that you bring up, and I want to make sure that we don't alienate our audience, Brian, is, is shadow banking. And Jack and I just had a great example of more shadow banking coming at us, i.e., because we've, we've become more restrictive now on mortgage lending here in Canada, Brian, uh, uh, stress tests are now taking place with all new mortgages uh, and the stress testing that they can absorb 2% increases in, in interest rates. And that, that's now how they're basically drawing the land, line in the sand. Um, and as such, you're having a, alternative lenders come forth and say, hey, I'll lend you money for your mortgage if a typical bank can't. So any non-traditional lender is considered a shadow banker. And we're seeing real estate developers saying, hey, guess what? If the banks won't lend the money, I'll get into that business because I have excess cash. So you're seeing real estate developers develop the real estate and even take on the mortgage of the property. That's called shadow banking. So you think shadow banking continues and continues to propel this stock market higher? The more regulations we put on traditional lenders, the more that non-traditional lenders will push the envelope. <laughs> that's it. Well, it's exactly what we're seeing up here in Toronto, right? Up here in Canada, they're putting tons more restrictions on mortgages. Uh, people still want to buy homes. They need the cash, and they don't have, obviously, the cash to pay for them, so they go to non-traditional lenders when the banks won't do it. And actually, credit unions up here are going to get a big bump, from what I hear anyways. Are they consider non-traditional lender too, right? Because they're not one of the big. Well, they're not. Banks. They're not. They're not regulated federally. They're regulated provincially, and they haven't got the same regulations pushed onto them this year that, huh. that, that the big banks do. Right. Well, we're we're on the line here with Brian Reynolds, who's in Florida taking care of his mother, but he's uh, works for Canaccord in Boston. Uh, we're just talking about the amount of money sloshing around the system and driving equity prices higher. So Brian says there's more of that to come. That makes me feel better. We're going to pay some bills around here and come right back to Brian Reynolds, analyst with Canaccord Genuity, right after this. 
Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Jack Hartle, co-host. It is Hi-Fi Radio, a show about high finance. I'm here to talk about money, but I also like to talk about music and fashion and all kinds of other interesting things. And by the way, oh, I'm so saddened to hear that Warren Miller passed away. Oh, man, what a legend. If you're a skier, you know who I'm talking about. Warren Miller always said, take that ski trip now, because if you don't, you'll be one year older when you do. Wise words, keep you fit. And I'm going to parlay that into the world of finance. Save money today, because if you don't, you'll be one year older when you do, and you're going to use a, lose a year of compounding. It's all about compounding your money. Take time as your friend each and every day. Put some money aside for tomorrow, and that money will grow and produce fruit. And that's exactly what we're here to talk to Brian Reynolds about, is the fruit tree. The tree has been generating a lot of fruit for the last nine years. People are happy. They're making money. Uh, maybe not if you're trading cryptocurrency. You got hurt there. But uh, tell us something, my good friend. With this credit market continuing to expand, in other words, there's a lot of money out there, people willing to um, uh, borrow and lend at very, very, very low rates. What could put it? Like, what, what are the three risks that you see that could end the credit boom? Well, a major war could do that. I don't see that on the horizon. I see significant inflation having a risk, deflation having a risk. I don't see either of those on the horizon. So eventually, at some point, the yield curve will invert. When long-term yields go below short-term yields, that throws financial engineering and shadow banking into reverse and causes a disaster. But until then, I think the stock market continues to go up and talk about the, 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 the tree that bears fruit, when it goes up like this, common sense and discipline are the two most important, important characteristics of investing. When you're talking about major inflation there, Brian, uh, right now we're running maybe 2 3% inflation. Uh, we got some wage inflation picking up down in the States because of the repatriation and the tax reform down in the, uh, with Trump. Um, what is major inflation in your, uh, per, from your perspective, and how would that cut off the, uh, the growth? Off the market. Well, I think it's not so much my interpretation as the Davos attendees' uh, interpretation that matters. And I think they're talking over seven or eight percent inflation, which is uh, defined as unmanageable inflation. We're miles away from that. Oh, no kidding! That, if, if it were to happen, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. But it's not anywhere on the near-term horizon. Do you think we're in a lower for longer interest rate? Uh, rate hike environment, Brian, or do you think they're going to ratchet rates up quicker than most uh, expect? I think lower for longer. That, that's my call. I think lower for longer, too, because we have a debt overhang in the U.S. Instead of crushing the debt in the last financial crisis the way we normally do, we simply shifted it from the, public from the private sector to the public sector with these bailouts. A debt overhang taken on at higher growth rates and higher yields is both a negative for growth and inflation. And the result is we have slow nominal or slow real GDP, even though it's picking up, and we have low inflation because of that debt overhang. And that's not going away anytime soon. So it's, it's funny. We actually tried to solve our problems from the last crisis, which was a debt problem, with more debt. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that goes to, and that goes to shadow banking and right. non-traditional lending. When you put more regulation on, tra on traditional lenders, you have all these non-traditional, unregulated lenders – pop out of the woodwork 
and add even more leverage onto the system. We, we have Brian Reynolds on the line. He's an asset allocator, helping us decide how much money to put into stocks versus bonds versus cash. So I guess that's my big question for you then, Brian. Uh, for a typical, shall we say, 55-year-old, 60-year-old, uh, this part of the cycle, market's been up now for, what, eight, nine years in a row. Uh, what kind of weighting would you put into equities, blue-chip equities? Well, I think I've been pretty consistent on the eight or nine months that I've been on your show. I like, in this environment, I like to do a barbell. So I like to overweight stocks and I like to overweight cash because the yield on cash is going up as central banks tighten. Stocks keep going up because of financial engineering and bond yields remain low. Treasury yields are up a little bit this year, but junk bond yields are down. That means I really don't want much to do with bonds. I'd rather have more stocks and more cash. And the cash would be to take advantage of any drops that happen in the stock market. Yeah, that's quite, a, that's like a very that. good question. Because what I was going to say is that overweight stocks, how do you get more tactical and get longer stocks with that cash position that you have? What, what indicators are you looking for, Brian? When there are panics in the stock market, they've tended to be brief in the last nine years. But there have been 31 of them that have resulted in the VIX curve inverting. When the VIX curve inverts, that tells us that equity investors are panicking. And when that VIX curve starts to gain a normal shape, that's when it tells us the panic is over, and that's when you want to commit some more cash to equities. The VIX curve, by the way, is, is a measure of the price paid for options, both what's called puts and calls. So it's basically the price of insurance. And as the price of insurance increases during times of panic, what Brian's mentioning there is the VIX curve uh, on a longer date basis goes into an inverted fashion where short-term VIX is trading at higher rate than long-term VIX. Is this a measure of risk? So Risk and volatility is what it is. Volatility, correct. Market expected volatility. But it's also a measure of panic because when people pay up for short-term protection and short-term protection becomes more expensive than longer-term protection, that's irrational. That's the definition of panic. And typically when the markets are volatile like that, like you said, you get a lot of weakness in them. You get, you know, from strong hands to weak hands and then from weak hands to strong hands, which, you know, you want to take advantage of if you can. Yep. Uh, well, look, Brian, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. We are out of time. Brian Reynolds, Canaccord's analyst and asset allocator. And I'd say you're one of the biggest bulls on the street. And that's a good thing, my good friend. Uh, Jack, great job producing Hi-Fi Radio this week. Uh, listeners, friends, family, a real pleasure to be in your home with you each and every Saturday. And we look forward to doing it next week. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.